Welcome everyone to this week's episode of I Just Blank, Now What? I'm your host, Jessica Stevens, and I really appreciate you joining me today. This week on the podcast, we're talking to a dear friend of mine, Terrence Ho, about the time when he had a I just found out my mom is dying, now what moment. Yes, this week's episode is packed full of lessons of what to do when you learn of a terminal prognosis for loved ones and when tragedy hits family. I know that dying and death is not a topic in which most people are comfortable discussing, and that is absolutely the reason why I really wanted Terrence to come on the show today and share his perspective of being a caregiver to somebody who is terminally ill. Uh, We all are going to either experience in our lifetime uh, needing a caregiver or being a caregiver to somebody we love. And uh, I'm so grateful that he shared so openly today about his experience with all this. So a little bit about Terrence. He is a son, a brother, a family caregiver. He's held roles in the public and private and nonprofit sectors. He's learned to advocate tirelessly for the greater good as a strategist, facilitator, and community builder. One of his biggest influences is his younger brother, who lives with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Caring for his brother for almost 30 years has helped Terrence appreciate the unique needs of patient and caregiving. He's currently the head of partner success at Brazen Mobility, an assistive technology company that developed the first blind spot sensor for wheelchairs. Terrence has been inspired by these life experiences to become a change agent and advocate for accessibility, dying well, inclusion, and mental health. When he's not advocating for others and caregiving, you'll find him enjoying a podcast just like this one or jumping on his trampoline. So let's get to the now what? Have you ever had something happen in your life that you just were not expecting, good or bad, and said out loud or to yourself, I just got laid off, or I just got engaged, maybe I just started a business, or I just bought a house, or maybe I just got my heart broken, or I just quit my soul-sucking job. Now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had a few actually, and each time it happened, in the moment, I felt like the world around me was collapsing and I didn't know what to do. Eventually, of course, I did figure it out, often the hard way, but I figured it out. And it wasn't until I was sharing some of these stories that I realized they were packed full of great lessons of what to do next, how to move forward, and answer that gut-wrenching and sometimes paralyzing question, now what? So join me as we share some of life's most challenging stories and their transformational lessons on the I Just Blank, Now What? The podcast. All right, here we go. Hello, my friend, Mr. Terrence. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming and thank you for being my guest. I'm just so honored to have you on the show today to share your story, which is, it's a big one, right? It is definitely not a typical story, but the, I just found out my mom's dying. Now what is something that I'm sure is packed full of lessons that you've already started to kind of live through now 
and want to kind of share some of those with other people who might be going through something similar. So thank you for being here. Obviously, I just read your amazing bio with everybody. uh, So they know, you know, that part of Terrence, but tell them a little bit about like, T, like Terrence, Terrence, my my buddy, my friend, tell them a little bit about you from your own words. Sure. Quick synopsis, born in Hong Kong, came to Canada at a young age. So kind of grew up in both this Canadian lifestyle, yet with a Chinese upbringing here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think like in my bio, like my brother has been a huge influence in my life. And coming from a Chinese culture, we're also taught that as like the older sibling, we must like care for the family. So I think that played a big influence in who I am today and what I do. So not only am I a caregiver, but the space that I chose to work in is also in this like complex rehab technology, using technology as a way to improve the lives of people with disabilities, our elders in our communities, and yeah, and, and for caregivers. So I would say a big part of who I am and mainly shaped by my experiences with being a brother to my younger brother. Do you think that his diagnosis and at such a young age for both of you really set your life on a whole different trajectory than you might have had he not been diagnosed? Yeah, I I definitely think so. Like, I think his diagnosis definitely transformed our family in, Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And for me in particular, yeah, like this feeling like one learning about what it means to that someone in my family lives with a disability, a physical disability, what people's perspectives are. So learning about that and kind of seeing how our family reacted to it and how the public, people that aren't in our family reacted to it and kind of like just watching the people's responses to it. And at the same time, then learning to like navigate all of it. So yeah, I, I definitely feel that once our brother was diagnosed, it definitely changed the trajectory for all of us. Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess in a way kind of prepared you for, you know, the next big news that hit your family, which is finding out that your mom had cancer. Yeah. Let's let's start there. Let's talk about your mom and and how you found that out and and what's been happening since that you know, diagnosis and how you've been figuring out what to do next. Obviously your background as a end of life doula, I can't remember if you were doing that prior to your, you finding out about your mom or that, that came after. So yeah, like let's, let's start there. Where were you when you found this out and, and how, how did this all unfold for you? So I found out while I was on a road trip, I was actually traveling in the US with, with a few buddies at that time. And I was in Texas at that time. And I get a call from our mom. And I knew that when I left, she was feeling some discomfort in her body. But she always said, yeah, I'll sleep it off. And over the years, that's how our mom is. Like, she's like, oh, I'm going to sleep it off. And it's like, like, discomfort will go away. So I got a call while I was at the supermarket in Texas. And I hear in my mom's voice that something was wrong. And she's like, oh, I'm at the hospital. And... And I was like, okay, what? And, and the reception wasn't great. So I was like, okay, mom, like, can you call me back in a few minutes and I'll go outside. And so she calls me back when I stepped outside. And the only thing I heard that came out of her mouth was I've been diagnosed with cancer. And in that moment, yeah, my heart dropped. I was like, oh, wow. And I didn't, I didn't understand the severity of it, but just hearing 
someone that I love and care about with cancer. Yeah, it's, it's devastating. So that was how I got the news. And so my mom's like, oh, don't rush back. And, but I was like, no, mom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back. And I told my buddies the news and I had my grieving session over the next few days. And so I rushed back home. And that was how I found out of like the news of our mom's cancer diagnosis, which was very shocking because our family has no history of, of cancer. So it was like a new territory, like no idea what this is going to be like. I, I knew that from my experience with care for my brother, it's going to help me with like supporting our mother through this as she requires care and and how to navigate and advocate on her behalf for our very complicated like healthcare system. So I felt prepared, like logically, and at the same time, emotionally as her son, there are a lot of feels like then finding out later, like, oh, it's stage four. Oh, okay. So what does that mean? So yes, it meant that it's spread to different parts of her body, but is there treatment available? So like then learning about it and trying to navigate all this, of course, there's a lot of emotions that come from it. And then to see how our mom reacted to it is... Is also very difficult too, because learning from my brother's experience, I had to learn that I can't fix the problem. And that was very difficult to accept. So when I see our mom struggling to accept the news, it is painful to feel like, okay, well, I can't fix what she's experiencing. So who do I need to be? And what can I do that's within my control to then support her in meaningful ways? And I would say it was very difficult to kind of like be by her side, but sit, but feel like, okay, well, I can't fix your cancer. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people experience that kind of like helpless feeling when they're watching a loved one go through something and there's literally nothing that they can do, right? You, mm. you feel this hopelessness. So how did you end up channeling that energy? How did you kind of figure out how to be useful and be supportive and, and get kind of, I guess a lot of people are also looking for what can they control, right? If you can't control the illness, you can't control the cancer in this you know, whole scenario, what are the things that I can control? So what was that for you? So I would say actually for the first few, like, months post-diagnosis it was this like I'm floating around I don't know what to do and kind of seeing our mom kind of like floating around as well and her partner and kind of like our whole family was just kind of floating it's like I can't believe this is happening what do we need to do and so I would say immediately from the news it's okay to feel like you're floating around because it's a huge shock Mm -hmm. and all of us reacted very differently in hearing a shocking news. And I think- so what, were, what were the differences? Like what was you know your reaction versus your brother's versus your mom's? So for me, my reaction was I kicked into, so what, part of it I was floating around and then the other part of me kicked into this like project manager kind of mode of like, okay, what do I need to do now? Like, what do we need to prepare for? And thankfully at that time, I was just transitioning out of the like a previous company And I was starting the process of looking for work again, but then I'm like, ah, okay. So our mom got this diagnosis. I'm going to now put my time and effort to be with her and care for her. So that worked out well for me in that way. So for me, it was more just trying to understand 
taking her to her doctor's appointments and being there at the meeting. So for me, I went into this kind of like, I'm here as your advocate. I'm going to do everything to yeah, advocate. The, on you your were behalf. the doer in this scenario. Yeah. As like the a caregiving champion for, for, um, so that was kind of my immediate reaction and then rallying our family to like support us. So that was kind of the immediate reaction that I had. So that's how I reacted. And then for my brother, he was shocked, of course, he grieved, but then because he had to kind of manage himself, he was more just focused on what do I need to do for myself to not give more responsibilities to my family. So I think that that's what he was more focused on. Whereas for a mom, and which is not surprising for the person receiving the news, she went into a depression because for her, it was so many life-changing things all at the same time where first the diagnosis of stage four, two, she was forced into retirement after working for 30 years. And then three, now needing to accept that she can no longer be the like, primary like physical caregiver for my brother and that now she has to rely on me and her partner to kind of manage not only Torrance's care but her care too so so she instantly went from being a caregiver to being a care receiver and that is something that she did not handle well not at her age of six she was 67 when she received the news Actually, 66 when she received And this is like 30 plus years of caring for your brother. Correct. Yeah. And 30 plus years of working and having colleagues, right? Right. So now like pretty much all the routine that she had and that she like enjoyed. Boom. Stopped. Everything changed. And then now she's the care recipient. And because she had no way to talk it over. So she just spiraled into depression and and then in January of, so she was diagnosed in October, 2019. And in January, 2020, she experienced suicidal ideations and we admitted her into the hospital where she spent about almost five months in the geriatric psychiatry ward. So that added in additional elements of, of how do we care for someone with now some like mental illness on top of her, her cancer uh, treatment. So that just added this whole new layer. And then of- throw on a sprinkling of COVID on top of this and being in a season when going to hospitals and visiting people and, you know, having access to things is severely limited. Correct. That must have made it even exponentially harder for you guys. Oh yeah, there were differences in opinion and how to care for a mom, like between her partner and I, where me not me feeling like as a family unit, we need to come together to support our mom. And there was like friction with that. And so managing that friction and at the same time, I needing as like our mom's power of attorney, needing to, okay, well. I am her son and she asked me to be a power attorney to to then advocate for her when she wasn't mentally capable either. So there was definitely a lot of pressure there of making that decision for her and trusting my own intuition on like what is best for her and calling those, like making those decisions as a son for like my mom. It's never an easy thing for any child to make a decision for our parents. And I watched my uncle do that for our grandfather. And what 
I learned from that was I wouldn't want to experience what my uncle had to experience. So part of me felt like I was experiencing some of that. But prior to our mom going to hospital, we had started talking about some of the things that she wished for, like once she got the diagnosis. So I felt like we started the conversation, but I was still, I didn't know the full picture of like all her wishes of what it meant if she couldn't make any other decisions. So I felt kind of prepared going into it. So, so yeah, so I would say that was what we had to, I had to like deal with as our mom got the diagnosis, as she had some challenges with her mental health. And really it was now just seeking advice from the healthcare professionals and really trusting that based on their suggestions that our mom would be taken care of both for her mental health challenges and for her cancer. And it, it kind of paid off for her mental health that mm-hmm. after five months of some trial and error of like medication and finding out a particular treatment, which ended up being ECT, which stands for electroconvulsive therapy, was something that really transformed her, her, her mental well-being. And so like in the height of the pandemic, she was discharged from the hospital for her mental health. So that was great news. Fantastic news. Amazing news. Yeah. And then she's now home mm-hmm. and everything now changes again for you guys. Cause you were doing five months of her being, you know, being cared for in the hospital. And now she's back home. Correct. And Terrence, the primary caregiver, in person has to kick back in. Correct. Correct. So talk me through, you know, this next phase, what it was like to have your mom back home. But before we do that, I remember at some point of this journey, Mm -hmm. you had to start, you started making decisions about you and your career and directions you wanted to do. So tell me a little bit about in this process, at what point did you're like, okay, I am a caregiver and that is literally who I have been my whole life. Let's really make this in an official capacity. I don't know if that's the right words for it, but like, tell me about your decision to become an end of life doula and what, what is that? And how does someone find one? Okay, great. That's a great question. So after the experience with my brother, because we had to talk a lot about his uh, feelings of his own death and our family's experience of like what his his dying would mean that really got me interested in oh okay so because as a chinese family we're afraid of talking about death we're, we're afraid of even hearing things that sound like death right like the number four like because four in cantonese is say and then death is say so you wouldn't even see like these numbers in any like buildings or Right, like no one will buy a home with a number yeah, four in it, right? Exactly, yeah. because we're there's so much superstition around. If you talk about death, it means it's going to be closer to you. So everyone avoids using language that reminds them of dying. So it was fascinating for me uh, with the experience of my brother, where when we start talking about it, I could see how uncomfortable our mom and her partner was, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, looks like so. This is like an important yet difficult conversation that we must have because. All of us, in the end, we will die. That is a truth. We can't, it's, it's a fact. Yeah. Uh, that death and taxes, we, right? Death and taxes. The two yeah. things we can't avoid. Yeah, exactly. And so those are ultimate truths. So why are we so, like, so afraid of it? And that really got me interested in, 
well, in what other ways can I facilitate healthy conversations around death with my loved ones mainly? So I, I went to like explore, like where can I build my like tool set as like a facilitator and things like that to facilitate this for my loved ones. And if I could do that with my friends and others, great. But it was mainly for myself as a toolkit to help my family. And it was really through things like attending things like death cafes, where these are like meetups where people literally just come to talk about death and dying that I found out, oh, okay, so there's something called a death. There are palliative care nurses that also kind of work in this space. And there's grief nurses and bereavement counselors, right? So there's like all these the whole world and yeah, the there's, around yeah. caring for the terminally ill and dying. Exactly. So there's all these professionals that actually support the individual who is dying and the family and friends that is around the person in this process of dying. And it's it was a whole new world to me. And I'm like, well, this is really neat. And so because of the experience of my brother and exploring this, I was like, okay, I, I really want to at least learn about the end of life care doula or death doula in, in some places it's called. And yeah, I decided to take a college program on it to just put the tool set under my belt to be able to facilitate conversations around dying uh, and death education and death planning. Because if we don't plan for it, then our families would be given more pressure when that time comes when we can't advocate for what we want. Um, yeah. And that's a little bit about what you're talking about with your uncle and uh, your grandfather, right? Exactly. Where my uncle's like, well, okay, like, I don't know what my dad wants. So He's, he had to make the decision, even though he may not know exactly what our grandpa wanted, because our grandpa comes from the generation that they don't talk about this stuff. So it's like, oh, I'll let my kids figure it out. And what I tell my mom, I'm like, if, if you don't want to give us more stress, it actually, you're doing us a favor by telling us what you want. So I can actually advocate and execute on exactly what you want. So that's what, by me going through the end of life care doula program has given me the tool set to actually have these kind of conversations with my family, which has been extremely beneficial. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this was while your mom was, has, has been diagnosed. Yes. You did the program. She's yes. in you know, the hospital. Now she's home. Yep. So you're actually even more equipped to actually handle this next phase of her now coming home. Her cancer has now advanced, obviously, where you're getting closer. See, wow, like good for you for taking that next level step in preparing yourself and to be, you know, what I'm going to refer to as like the ultimate caregiver here, Terrence, because that, that takes a lot and, and to do something that is so out of the norm for your family too. And your culture must've been like a huge shock to everybody, but really empowering for you. It is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jess. Yeah. Like it is empowering for me. Because I feel like whenever I encounter things that I don't know, I do my best to read up on it and or like take a course. So throughout Torrance's experience and now with our moms, yeah, like I try to find out, can I get some hands-on training so that I can understand what it is that I could better prepare myself for because I don't know what I don't know. So really, yeah, this for me, it's like for selfish purposes, it's like, give me the info, yeah. give me hands-on training so I could help myself to help my family. And that probably helps you a little bit with your own mental health and processing everything that's going, happening because you're now able to actually do something. 
Correct. where it kind of helps you kind of manage that, you know, helplessness feeling that you kind of had at the beginning, right? Correct. Yeah, big time, big time. It definitely empowers me to feel like, okay, now I have options on what I can do if I choose to do them instead of feeling like, oh no, like what's next? So now I feel like, yeah, I do have this like breadth of knowledge to say, okay, now that our mom has experienced this, I have option A, B, C that I could turn to, to support her. Is this something that you would recommend to others who are facing or going through something similar? Like Obviously, you know, there's support groups. And then, as you mentioned that, you know, there's lots of professionals in the space that are there to support, you know, the, the patient, but as, as well as the family, mm-hmm. you know, what, what would, you, would you recommend to somebody going through what you're, you know, you're going through, maybe doesn't have as deep of an experience, obviously, that you did with, you know, you know, your brother being, you know, his diagnosis all those years ago, but they want to do something, you know, what mm-hmm. would you recommend maybe like a first good step of somebody who's like, wanting to go down a little bit of the rabbit hole you just did? <laughs> I would say it really depends, right? Because each of us, when we receive the news, we may be at different stages. So mm-hmm. even like navigating the care system could be very like complicated and daunting. Yeah. So I would say that what was valuable for me was, for example, like just talking about like death, attending like a death cafe, extremely valuable because the people that attend, they come from all walks of life. Some of them work in the work in the healthcare sector. Others are just like caregivers themselves. So for, for me, attending death cafes allowed me to hear and share what I'm experiencing. And then to get feedback and advice from people that are more experienced because they either work in the healthcare industry and or, yeah. And so for me, that was a really great way to not feel super intimidated. But even though, even like hearing the word death cafe can be intimidating, but attending that in a very, like, I think a couple of the meetings were just like outdoors at a park, right? Like, so everyone was just like hanging out and yeah, the topic may seem heavy, but everyone was like super supportive. And I feel like that would be a great way to. Um, introduction into, yeah. Yeah. Getting, like getting, your getting some blocks started, right? Exactly. So I know right now because it is a pandemic, so death cafes aren't being held in person. Mm-hmm. There are like virtual death cafes, but if that, like even like the zoom is not a big fan, there are also great. And which I'm on a few too, are great Facebook groups for caregivers. And this is a great place too, where people are asking questions and wanting support or just even wanting to vent. Because as a caregiver, we do experience a lot of emotions every day. It's like ebb and flowing. So to even have a space to be able to share our experiences and then to hear that actually we're not alone in the experience as a caregiver is extremely helpful. So, so for those that are new to the space of caregiving, but don't want the like face-to-face interaction or zoom to zoom interaction, video interaction. Yeah. Even like a Facebook group could be a great place to just kind of immerse yourself to even hear that. Oh man, like someone else has experienced what I'm experiencing to not feel alone in it because we're kind of in the space of, in the environment that we need to care give. Sometimes we could feel very alone. Yeah. Like having a support team and going to, through your own counseling process, whether that be like full on therapy, or you just have a circle of friends who you can share with, or you go to a Facebook group or something, just have 
other people there supporting you so that you can continue to support and be a caregiver to the ones in your family who need you. And yes, exactly. And that is one of the biggest lessons I learned because having burnt out being a caregiver, I learned that I can't hold all my emotions and all my frustrations within me without having a space that I feel safe enough to even just move that like emotions that I'm feeling around it. Mm-hmm. Because if we're hearing a news of our loved one that and, and like watching like them suffer in different ways, yeah, we're gonna f- feel the emotions of sadness, anger, frustration. And then the process of caregiving, those are other elements of sadness, frustration, anger too. So yeah. if we don't have an outlet for it, we're gonna burn out. Um, yeah, especially when you can't then, you know, turn around and have a bad day with your brother or your mom or the person you're caregiving for, like they, you don't want them to be on the receiving end of any of, of your stress. So you really got to be able to release that somewhere else so that you can show up for them in a, in a positive way every day. Exactly. And it, it's very difficult. And I would have to say, yeah, there are moments in time that I do like spill over my frustration to my mom and my brother. And it's definitely something that, yeah, I'm not proud of. And so I know that it'll happen because it is part of the caregiving experience. And it's authentically what I'm experiencing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, So don't beat yourself up, right? So people are getting frustrated and are, you know, expressing that with the people they're supposed to be caring for, it happens. It does happen. And it's for us to be aware of it mm-hmm. and then to then recognize, okay, now it's t- like by then that that's like our signal to, okay, I need some external support too. Yeah. Warning, uh, warning. Right? Yeah. Those are big warning bells. And yeah, just like having watched my uncle and our family care for our grandfather, I definitely saw that happening where, you know, unpleasant things were said to our grandfather things like that. And for me, these are big lessons of, mm-hmm okay, how do I ensure that when I'm seeing myself doing those things, how do I like stop? And then, okay, now what do I need to do next to move my emotions in a healthier way? So I'm not actually like dumping it onto the people I'm actually that I care about and, and that I love. So yeah, there's been a lot of lessons throughout all these years of like in, in different caregiving capacities. For sure. All right, so let's let's circle back. Let's get yep. back to your mom now. She's yep. home from the hospital and she's, you know, you're caring for her full time at this point now, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz so where are we now? What's going on? How how are things going? So she's back at home and it's been I would say probably like about 8 months now since her diagnosis and then her coming back home and for me playing the primary caregiver and care like coordinator and advocate for both now Torrance and our mom but thankfully she was feeling pretty good by that time and her cancer was under control based on the treatment that she was on and so for me as I'm seeing this kind of like what's the word that everyone is like stabilizing Mm -hmm. that's when normalcy yeah some normalcy that was coming back that's when I started reflecting like okay so what's next for me and I wasn't sure at that time really I knew I knew of the space that I wanted to continue to work in which was in the space of accessibility care for elders using technology as a way to empower so I knew that was the space I wanted to stay in didn't know what was next and it wasn't really until the fall of last year that an opportunity 
cross cross my path and and a company that I know quite well because a friend of mine like founded it mm-hmm. and and that's when I decided to join Braze Mobility which they build blind spot sensors for wheelchairs essentially it's using the same type of sensors cars use that we have in cars but for wheelchairs and yeah fantastic technology it's it's one that's much needed for wheelchair users so I was super excited to join a company like this that cares about not only the end user like the wheelchair user mm-hmm. but then also the family yeah. caregiver and those that all play a role in it and so yeah super stoked that I was able to join and because everyone in my family like was stabilized at that point I felt comfortable enough to then join this new company which I'm still part of right now and yeah that that's kind of what happened by fall of last year but where things changed and this really only happened 2 months ago not even like a month ago is when we got news about our mom's like prognosis now so about a month and a and bit a bit ago our mom started experiencing different symptoms one which had her fall a couple times where she fractured her pelvic bone and that's when we discovered that now her cancer has continued to spread and that cancer in the spine is causing her to like her legs to not function properly and this is when we got the news that she is no longer treatable and that she only has a few months to live so super shocking news even though we knew it was stage 4 but it was very painful to have received that news so kind of was going through the, the exact same i just found out my mom's dying now what all over again but even in a more intense correct situation correct now it's your so mom imminent. will be dying in x months so this is like in a few months that was the news that we got from her oncologist so talk us about the now what now you've gotten this this news again mm-hmm. or you know even the, the timeline has now even shrunk and even further yeah. now what where are you guys right now i think we're at a we're kind of like in this like place are you, of are you back to the floating space i don't know if it's a flo- i think in the first few weeks it was kind of floating okay because We're like oh my goodness like this is bad news we were grieving like yeah all of us were grieving there's a lot of crying together and and all that in the first week mm-hmm. of of the news and i feel like now we're at a point where we're finding some more routine and normalcy back into our like day to day because even though the oncologist gave us a prognosis is never a guarantee but what this meant to me was how do i make the most of the time with with our mom yeah so so the number that they gave us was 3 months but we don't know if that's going to be like true so in the first 4 weeks it's been about like 6 weeks since the news in the first 4 weeks what my focus was as part of the grieving the other part of me was in this project management or like Okay, what can I do that's in my control now? So a lot of communication with our family. I asked my mom, so who do you want to share this news with to really share with our family, our friends, her former colleagues that this is this is what's happened. And from my doula training, I think a big part of it is how do we allow everybody to grieve? And so in my communication 
And from my experiences, how do I allow everyone to participate in supporting our mom in meaningful ways? And so in my communication, it was around, okay, so this is how you could help our family. If you want to speak with our mom, this is how you could do it. Send your photos and your favorite memories and recordings like to our mom. So it's almost like, let's grieve together. Let's not wait until... Let's not wait until she dies for us to like for you to then share stories about my mom with me. Let's share it with her now so then we can all reflect on it together. And so in the last six weeks, it was doing a lot of that where I would always have my phone and a like a, a gimbal on me, kind of like just like anytime we got, staff. yeah, like anytime that someone sent something new, I'd like set up a recorder and my mom would like watch the video or like look at the pic- pictures and we would just like talk about, oh, okay. Like, oh, do you remember this of what they said? And it was just very beautiful to like hear what other people had to say about my mom that I never knew about. And sometimes she doesn't, she didn't remember the impact that she had on that person's life. And that's what we've been focusing on as, as like a family and my intention over the last few weeks since we got the news. And it, it's going to be my intention up until the day my mom died, whenever that is, be it three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, my intention is, yeah, I'm going to make meaningful time with her in whatever way possible. And this is what I can control. So that's what I'm going to keep doing and being. The the other piece that did come up too was what do I do about work? That definitely came up like first week. It's like, if it's three months, do I keep working or do I like spend time with my mom if it's really just three months? So needing to kind of grapple with that and really having conversation with our team about it too and really being transparent with the whole team and to hear their like support and and all that gives me the confidence that yeah I could still continue working and then making the decision when I'm ready to then be with our mom as her health status change so yeah all right so oh my goodness Terrence I I want to thank you so much for, you know, sharing all of this today because it's not a topic that, you know, many are comfortable sharing. A lot of people, as you mentioned in the beginning of this <laughs> this episode, like people don't like to talk about death, right? So thank you for being so generous with, you know, your experience and, and what you're going through. So a couple things, what would it be your three guidance, not necessarily, you know, advice, but just like three areas of guidance for somebody who's going through, you know, traumatic news like this for them or their family? The first is allow yourself to feel. That's the first one. Just allow yourself to feel the feels when we get devastating news about our loved ones, about even like our own maybe health changes, just like allowing ourselves to just feel it first and to to acknowledge it and and just like grieve with it. I feel like that's super important. And if possible, grieve it with your whole family. Um, A group activity, if possible. Exactly, exactly. And to your comfort level, of course. So that's the first thing. The second thing is ask for help. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because especially when we're new to this, it's going to feel super daunting. So to be able to ask for help and be curious and ask around, ask friends, or if you're not comfortable asking people you know, go on to these like Facebook groups or do some Google searches and ask for help because there are like a hotlines for caregivers. There's and, probably and, more resources out there than people realize. 
Correct. Exactly. So now it's just more your comfort to go ask for help and don't feel, and I guess this is related. The third thing is don't feel like you're alone in this, even though yes, we, as like the primary caregivers, we are on the day to day, the, the main person, but don't feel like you can't reach out to acquire more support because it could mean more support workers that come in nurses to come in uh, therapists to come in to not only help your loved one, but also like ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I'm getting nurses to like grief nurses, mental health nurses, psychotherapists to work with me. So yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting help, but it's me because of all these people that I'm reaching out to that I'm receiving all the support and depending so on where know you know that it's not just the patient, but the family members too have a lot of access to support. Correct. And I think now uh, more than ever is for the caregiving organizations out there, uh, they recognize the importance of ensuring the caregiver that is at home with the, with the per- person receiving care. So the services available to the caregiver, there's equally like amount available compared to like the, the person receiving the care. It's just, we need to recognize that it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And it's not a sign of weakness that we're not doing our job as a caregiver. And if anything, this is a strength that we recognize that we can't do this alone and we don't know all the answers and it's okay to receive the help. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even for somebody like yourself who has years of experience in caregiving, you know, you still get help. You still ask for help. So imagine, you know, this is new to somebody definitely don't think that you have to do this alone, right? Like exactly get all the help that you need. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's some great organizations like all across the country, wherever you may be listening. And even in the U S like in every country, sit, state and province and city, yeah, there are services that will be available for caregivers too. All right. That was good guidance, Terrence. Good guidance. So something that, you know, really, I guess, great that kind of came out of this whole experience is a, you you know, you became a a death doula, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have that, you know, tool in your belt now to support your family and then other families and and other people in your community, because I'm sure you're going to be the first one in line to support and help uh, other people that you know, because that's just who you are. But now you're an author too. Tell me, talk to me about the book. So the book is called Bold Spirit Caring for the Dying. And it's a collection of stories and experiences from experienced end of life practitioners who have been doing this for years and years. And for like family caregivers and newbies like myself. And it's just a fantastic collection of wisdom and experiences where we provide like tips on what we learned and just the things that we had to experience and care for someone that was going through a dying process. So in the book, I share about my experience with my grandfather and what I learned from that, that I was able to apply to my brother. Mm-hmm. And in reading it and reflecting it, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm actually applying all those lessons to how I am supporting and care for our our mom now. So that could probably be a good, you know, first step for somebody who's kind of experiencing things, you know, go, go get a book. Right. So it's called bold spirit caring for the dying uh, and it's available on Amazon, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So yeah, so that's a highly recommend that book. Um, I've ordered mine. Can't wait to read it because yes, of course I know your story, but I really want to, I want to read it in, in your words on the page. So Terrence, anything else you want to share with the community today? about this, I just 
learned that my mom is dying, now what moment that you want to impart on everybody? What comes to mind is for those that are listening and about to go into this journey of caregiving, I just want to say thank you. Because the commitment that you're taking on to care for someone you love is an incredible journey and one that is not easy to take. So your willingness to step into that role for someone you love is yeah incredible. So I just want to say thank you. Because especially as a family caregiver, it is a pretty thankless role. So yeah, I just want to thank you. And because in our lifetime, and I heard this and I love, I love this because it is, there's a lot of truth in it, is that, yeah, in our lifetime, we will all experience either being a caregiver or receive care. And that is inevitable. So at one point in our life, we will in, in, in the receiving end or the, the, the giving end. So absolutely, yeah, so that's, that's what I want to say. Yeah, that's, that's the last final words that I want to share. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, they yeah. were beautiful final words. And I want to acknowledge you, Terrence, for all you've you know done in this space of caregiving and your generosity to share your story and your knowledge and, and help so many people who are going through something similar. So thank you for being here today and, and giving so generously. I appreciate it so much. And I know a lot of people will take some really great things out of this episode. So thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it, everybody, for today's episode. Thanks so much. And we will talk to you soon. Hi, everyone. Quick update. I'm sad to share that since we've recorded this episode, Terrence's mom, Mimi Chen, has passed away. And so we send our deepest condolences to Terrence and Torrance, and we will be dedicating this episode in her memory. So we invite all of our listeners to head to the Canadian Cancer Society at www.cancer.ca to make a donation in her memory. Her name is Mimi Chen, and I know Terrence and his brother would be so grateful for any contribution you can make to cancer research. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.